Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good day, Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us. You know, the last time we spoke, we discussed fairy tales and folklore and how they not only teach us various lessons, but the biggest lesson of all is to have the strength to survive our challenges. And that's what this show has been about, is taking on challenges and watching yourself survive them and and being proud of your ability to have that strength to survive. And I always say that your survival is your strength, not your shame. So the goal of the show is to bring resources to you as listeners and to have a variety of topics that can help you in your everyday experience. Today, I want to talk about research and how it helps us to make decisions for better services for kids, for new programs to help many, to evaluate ongoing programs, and to help everyone from the teacher to the researcher attempting to answer a question about the work that they are doing. There are different types of research and different types of researchers. Later in the show, we're going to have on actually the most guests we've had on at any time in the history of the show. I'm going to have four guests on. Um, Dr. Michelle Wallace from Cal State Los Angeles that we've had on the show before and very happy to have her back again today. Uh, Jackie Riswell, my behavioral uh, intervention director for Total Programs. Rocky Bomick, our Director of Behavioral Respite, and Lindsay Grizzle, our Clinical Director for Total Programs, all of which have been involved with research. Um, They'll all be talking about their experiences in research and how it helps them on their job and in their professions. So what is the purpose of research in the workplace? Well, one of the things that we want to look at is using research to evaluate to evaluate our program, to see how it's going, to make sure it's running in the way we want it to. Another thing that we might look at is different ways to help staff. Staff development can occur through research by determining what things are working well for staff and which things aren't. Program improvement, looking at different, for instance, in single case design research, we can look at a very particular type of of treatment going on with an individual and manipulate it so that it assists that person to its greatest potential. All of this has to do with social validity, and it's the idea that we're doing this in order to help others make life better, have a higher quality of life. And that's what social validity is about, and that's what Total Programs is about. It's about, this is what our work is. We're all going off later today to a conference in Northern California, the California Association of of Behavior Analysts. And we're all there to discuss different ideas, different topics that will help promote a better life for disabled individuals and people dealing with challenges. And that comes from a lot of research that people are doing. Research comprises creative and systematic work undertaken to increase the stock of knowledge. 
including knowledge of humans and culture and society, and the use of the stock of knowledge is to devise new applications. It is used to establish or confirm facts, reaffirm the results of previous work, solve new or existing problems, support theorems, or develop new theories. A research project may also be an expansion on past work of the field. Quite often, we're looking at something that somebody's already done, and we want to replicate it. We want to see, okay, well, will that work with my kid? Will that work with the people I'm working with? So we try and replicate that and see if we get similar results. Research projects can be used to develop further knowledge on a topic. Or in the example of a school research project, they can be used to further a student's research prowess to prepare them for future jobs or reports. To test, you can use research to test the validity of, of instruments, procedures, or experiments. Research may replicate elements of prior projects or the project as a whole. The primary purpose of basic research, as opposed to applied research, are documentation, discovery, interpretation, or the research and development of methods and systems for the advancement of human knowledge. Approaches to research depend on different philosophies of research and knowledge attainment, and very, consider and very considerably both within the, and between humanities and science. There are several forms of research, scientific, humanities, artistic, economic, social, business research, marketing research, practitioner research, life, technology, etc. So what, what are some forms of, of research? What is it meant when we say original research? Original research is research that is not exclusively based on a summary, a review, a synthesis of earlier publications on a subject of research. This material is of a primary source. The purpose of the original research is to produce new knowledge rather than to present existing knowledge in a, in a new form. Original research can take a number of forms depending on the discipline it pertains to. In experimental work, it typically involves direct or indirect observations of the research subjects. For instance, it might be in a laboratory or in the field, documents the methodology, results, and the conclusions of an experiment or a set of experiments, or offers a novel interpretation of previous results. The degree of originality of the research is among the major criteria for articles to be published in academic journals and are usually established by means of peer review. What that means is that when you publish an article, you will have your fellow colleagues in the same field will review that article prior to publication to make sure that the results are valid and reliable and that it's written in such a way and done in such a way that it's ethical and it does lead to higher levels of social validity. So a big part of, of doing research is having your peers review and accept your research and use it in the for their own purpose, and usually you'll see that come out through various journals. Graduate students are commonly required to perform original research as a part of a dissertation. And really, I know that Dr. Wallace, she could talk more to this, but m many, if not all, or most of her graduate students create a master's thesis. It used to be that you could take a test and get through the master's, 
But many choose to do a master's thesis because that adds to the field. So the more that we're able to generate as original research, the more we're able to add to this field that we work within. Now, there's scientific research, and scientific research is a systematic way of gathering data and harnessing curiosity. This research provides scientific information and theories for the explanation of the nature and the properties of the world. It makes practical applications possible. Scientific research is funded usually by like public authorities or by charitable organizations or private groups, including many companies. Scientific, excuse me, scientific research can be subdivided into different classifications according to their academic and ac- application disciplines. Scientific research is widely used is a widely used criterion for judging the standing of an academic institution, but some argue that such is an inaccurate assessment of the institution because of the quality of research does not tell the, of the quality of teaching. So that's always the, the difficult part is that when we go in to measure something, we often are measuring something in a temporal fashion, meaning we're measuring what we see in front of us. We're not necessarily measuring things over time. And there are different types of research that actually allow us to do more of involving ourselves in the environment rather than having just a snapshot. So I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. Research in the humanities. Scholars of the humanities usually do not search for the ultimate correct answer to a question, but instead explore the issues and details that surround it. Context is always important, and the context can be social, historic, political, cultural, or ethnic. An example of research in the humanities is historical research, which which is embodied in an historical method. Historians use primary sources and other evidence to systematically investigate a topic and then to write histories in the form of accounts of the past. Other studies aim to merely examine the occurrence of behaviors in societies and communities, and without particularly looking for reasons for motivations to explain these. These studies may be qualitative or quantitative and can use a variety of approaches. And so I'll explain what that, what that means. Generally, research is used or is understood to follow a certain structural process. Though step order may vary depending on the subject matter and the researcher, the following steps are usually the part of the most formal research and and both basic and applied research. First, you have observations in the formation of a topic. This consists of a subject area of one's interests and following the subject area to conduct the subject-related research. The subject should not be randomly chosen since it requires it, it requires reading a vast amount of literature on the topic to determine the gap in the literature and the researchers it tends to narrow. A keen interest in the chosen subject area is advisable. The research will have to be justified by linking its importance to already existing knowledge about the topic. So you come up with this idea and you want to see, well, what are other people what have other people done? about this and is this a a topic that is worth investigating? You come up with a hypothesis. It's a testable prediction which designates a relationship between two or more variables. Then you have a conceptual definition, description of a concept by relating it to other concepts. Then you have an operational definition, 
details in regards to defining the variables and how they'll be measured and assessed in the study. Then you gather data. Then you analyze your data. Once you get your data, you need to interpret it. This can be represented through tables and figures and pictures and described in words. You test, you revise the hypothesis, and then you have a conclusion that you come to. You know, we've come to our, our first break, so we will take a short little break and we'll be back to finish our brief introduction into research. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seanservice at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome back. I hope you've had a chance to grab yourself a cup of coffee and sit back and enjoy our just little discussion this morning about research. We've been talking about the different steps in research and was talking about data collection and how you analyze. Once you collect your data, you analyze it and then you interpret it and then you have you, you test your, your hypothesis. And one of the things that's kind of a misconception is that a hypothesis will be proven. There's an idea of what's called a null hypothesis, and that's the idea that there's no difference. Once you've done whatever treatment you're doing or whatever intervention, your hypothesis is that things are going to change. They're going to get better. They're going to get worse, whatever your hypothesis is. If you don't see that and you don't see that statistically, then you have to reject your hypothesis. And then what's what we call the null hypothesis or the hypothesis of no change. 
Generally, a hypothesis is used to make predictions that can be tested by observing the outcome of an experiment. If the outcome is inconsistent with the hypothesis, then the hypothesis is rejected. However, if the outcome is consistent with the hypothesis, the experiment is said to support the hypothesis. One of the things that students often talk to me about or are concerned about is like when they're doing their literature review, where they're trying to find information about their topic, they don't find the exact thing that they're looking for. And I commonly have to remind them that they're not finding the thing that they're looking for because they're researching that thing. So there may not be anything out there exactly about your topic, but there are things that are close to the topics that you're uh, uh, interested in. So you might do different types of research, exploratory research, which helps to identify and define a problem or a question. Constructive research, which tests theories and proposes solutions to a problem or a question. Empirical research, which tests the feasibility of a solution. And also empirical research puts data behind something. Like if we say that there's an intervention that works, we want to have some proof behind that. Now, there's two major types of, of research, empirical research. And one is called qualitative research and the other is quantitative research. Researchers choose qualitative or quantitative methods according to the nature of the research topic they want to investigate and the research questions they aim to answer. So with qualitative research, you don't necessarily have a question when you go into it. This involves understanding human behavior and the reasons that govern such behavior by asking broad questions, collecting data in the form of words, images, videos. I remember doing a research project on beginning on special ed teachers and I chose a new teacher and I chose a teacher that had been teaching for 30 years and I wanted to compare the two and I didn't really know what I was looking for and when I went in I started to just listen to what the different teachers were saying and by the end of it I, I titled the the paper something like uh the special ed teacher, the warrior helper. And the the idea behind it was that the, 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 the teacher that had been teaching for like 30 years, she commonly used words like team, that she would get her battalion together to fight any battles. But the new teacher said that he had to, he commonly would say that he had to pull together all of his strength like a mercenary and get out there and fight the fight. So the new teacher may feel what I got from the research and from the words that I was listening to is that the new teacher or the old teacher may know how to gather supports and resources together where the new teacher may not know how to do that and just kind of feels like they're on their own. And so I got that through analyzing and collecting words that were repeated over and over again during the observations. I wasn't looking for anything in particular. This type of research aims to investigate a question without attempting to quantifiably measure variables or to look at potential relationships between variables. It's viewed as a more restrictive, it's viewed as more restrictive in testing hypothesis because it can be very expensive and time consuming and typically limited to single set of research subjects. So you can't really expand it a lot because it's very time consuming and it costs a lot of money to do it. Qualitative research is often used as a method of 
of exploratory research as a basis for later quantitative research hypotheses. Qualitative research is linked with a philosophy or a theoretical stance and usually one of social constructionism. Social media posts are even a form of qualitative research as the information repeated by people describes their existence and their needs and their beliefs. So what's quantitative research then? This involves systematic empirical investigation of quantitative or, or numbered properties and a phenomenon and their relationship by asking a narrow question and collecting numerical data to analyze it using statistical methods. The quantitative research designs are experimental, correlational, and survey. Statistics derived from quantitative research can be used to establish in the existence of associative or causal relationships. We never want to say that something causes something else in our research, but we do want to say that there is a relationship and that there's an association between variables. And sometimes we can see that through our numbers and how we, we might do what's actually called correlational analysis to see how much something hangs together and how, how tight something is associated with something else. Uh, or sometimes we'll do it qualitatively to describe the situation. The quantitative data collection methods rely on random sampling and a structured data collection of instruments that fit diverse experiences into predetermined response categories. So we might use like rating scales or, or a survey to get a bunch of information together but into one concise form. Quantitative research is concerned with the testing of hypotheses derived from theory or being able to estimate the size of the phenomenon of interest. If the research question is about people, participants may be randomly assigned to different treatments. Only that way the quantitative study can be considered a true experiment. If, it's, if this is not feasible, the researcher may collect data on a participant in a situational characteristic to statistically control for the influence of the dependent or the outcome variable. Now, sometimes what that means is sometimes we have to take a, a group and we give certain group the treatment, but we don't give the other group the treatment. And we want to see, does this treatment really make a difference? Or is it just time or just something else that's making it happen? But we got to be careful because there's different types of ex interventions and treatments. And like if it's a cancer treatment, I don't want to be in the control group. I don't want to be in the group that doesn't get the treatment. So we have to look at it ethically, too. We, uh, in either qualitative or quantitative research, we have to collect both primary and secondary data. Primary data is collected specifically for the research, such as through like questionnaires or interviews. Secondary data is stuff that like already exists. It may be things that we, uh, like census data or something that we use that can be reused for the data, for the research, excuse me. Mixed research is research that includes both qualitative and quantitative elements using both and second, using both primary and secondary data. And it's becoming a lot more pop common. This method has benefits that using one method alone can offer. For an example, a researcher may choose to conduct a qualitative study and follow it up with a quantitative to gain more insights. So I've, I've tried to describe what research is and how we might utilize it in our, our field. And I, I'd like to bring our, our guests on now and, and talk a little bit about uh, research in the workplace. We 
have been attempting to conduct research at total programs to help our staff and help our clients. But, you know, we learned these things from the universities that we went to. And we try to, one of our, our ethical obligations is to continue our education and to continue to grow in our academic ability. And so one goal is to do that through our own internal research. We collect so much data on clients and on staff every single day that the reason why I wanted to have this show is I wanted to be able to promote that, but I also want other outside programs to realize that you can do research with your company. Dr. Wallace, are you on? Yes, I am. Hi, Sean. Oh, hi, good morning to you. I, you know, you've been listening. I've been talking about different types of research. And one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to ask you is what, what and why do you see it, it necessary to even conduct this type of research in a, in a setting like mine, in a business that does behavioral work? First and foremost, I think that um, it's really important to conduct research in a setting like yours where you're directly interacting with the clients, mainly because the research that has been conducted um, thus far has usually occurred in a research laboratory. Even though it's a clinical research laboratory, it's still a research laboratory. And so um, all the variables that are present in that environment are very controlled. So there's no, um, you know, arbitrary stimulus that's going to take control of the behavior or there's no competing contingencies, right? So grandma's not walking in the room when the therapist is delivering a consequence. Right. Versus when we are taking this research, right, because our field is evidence-based, so we're supposed to take this research with us when we apply our services with families. But we're taking something that was conducted in a very sterile environment and saying, well, we know it's going to work over here because it worked over there, but we're not accounting for all the other variables that are occurring in that natural environment. And so I think it's so important for us to take what we know from these clinical research laboratories and see how they play out when you don't control all the variables, when you can't control whether grandma's going to walk in the room or not, or whether, you know, grandma's going to see the child crying and saying, hey, what are you doing? I'm going to intervene. I'm going to, you know, hug my grandchild. Um, And so one of the main reasons I see this line of research to be so important is is because of that. It's because we have to understand what happens when we can't control all the variables. Right, and those variables are real life. They're what the person is truly going to deal with on a daily basis. So do, do these interventions or these treatment ideas work when those other variables are at play that we can't control and that we didn't even take into account when we were attempting it at the university or in a more clinical setting we um we unfortunately we've come to our second break so we're going to take a little break and then we'll be back in about two minutes to continue our conversation with everybody great
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about research this morning, and we have several people on the phone. We're talking right now with Dr. Michelle Wallace in regards to why we do research in a company like ours and, and what the importance is. And we were you were talking, Dr. Wallace, in regards to doing experiments or doing this type of research outside of the university may allow for a more real or more natural uh, experience. And I think there were some, some ideas that you wanted to, further ideas you wanted to share. Yes. Um, so one thing I wanted to point out was um, the difference between the research clinical laboratory versus real life with a personal example. So um, when I have a client whose problem behavior is maintained by attention and I'm going to implement extinction where I don't provide the attention for the problem behavior, if I'm in the clinic, it's just me and the client and I can implement that and there's no other influence that's occurring. However, I will tell you the story of when I took my daughter once to Walmart <laughs> mm-hmm. and she was in the cart and um, she started engaging in some problem behavior and was screaming and wanted my attention. 
and I implemented extinction like a good behavior analyst and just ignored her and you know, kept shopping. And um, when I went to the checkout counter, the act, the cashier said to, to me and to my daughter, well, aren't you going to pay attention to her? She's screaming. And then he subsequently started giving her attention. So you Uh-oh. see that, you know, this, this procedure has been demonstrated over and over and over again in the clinical laboratory to be very effective, mm-hmm. right? When you control right. all the variables. But in this particular situation, although I was implementing extinction properly, those around me were not. And so in that sort of situation, you have to understand how the intervention is going to play out when you don't control all the variables. And that's why I think this line of research is so important. And that happens so often where we're trying to implement something that seems like, okay, this is a simple like pay no attention to the yelling, therefore it'll stop. And uh-huh. but we don't take into account that other people are going to think that uh, this kid is being tortured or this kid is having some need or they're going to tune in and give that attention that there's so much seeking out because they're worried about them or for some other reason. And we can even look at that as a form of even qualitative research and say, OK, you know, when you're in that experience, you're going to also experience people being worried, concerned having embarrassment factors around this. Uh-huh. So these are things that need to come into uh, uh, your mindset when you're preparing for this because our research has also shown that things can be uh, 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 hindered by others out there. What uh-huh. um, when, when you see uh, organizations like Total Programs working with clients and working with the, let me say, ask this a different way or say this a different way. As the owner of this organization, I look at so much data that's coming in on a daily basis that whether it's how clients are reacting or how staff are reacting, and it's so important that we get some input from that data to guide our our interventions, to guide our treatments, to guide our policies. And one of the things that we've recently done is we have a, a project that at a total where we were attempting to reinforce everybody as a group. And Jackie, are you are you on with us? Yes, good morning. Thank you for good morning, me. Jackie. Jackie again is our director of behavioral intervention and had done a recent poster presentation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the project, Jackie, and what, um, what it entailed? Absolutely. Again, thank you for having me today. Um, so as you were saying, Dr. Sean, we get so much data on a daily basis, and what my team, my research team and I observed is that we noticed our staff were submitting their daily timesheets uh, basically late or um, not on time on a monthly basis. And as you know, our our clinical team, our direct interventionists were great with carrying out our clinical programs, but the other part of their responsibilities is to submit things like timesheets, our clients' data on time, which is the other part of our responsibilities. So we wanted to actually study this and apply some reinforced base 
um, incentives for our staff. And prior to this, too, we were utilizing other other um, procedures like write-ups or scheduling meetings with our staff. So we wanted to apply other procedures such as reinforcement, which we all know in this field is very effective with our clients. So why not apply that with our staff? Right, so and see if it staff, actually made it, see if it actually did make a difference without, we're very much not into, here's a double negative, we're very much not into disciplinary measures only, punishment for behavioral change it tells you what not to do it doesn't tell you really what to do and so by reinforcing what to do where there's a good likelihood that we'll get more of it so what happened how what was the the methodology meaning how was the experiment set up yes so we had three groups the first group we introduced a lottery based incentive where those staff who submitted their t- um, timesheets on time were entered to the lottery and they were able to um, be up for winning a gift tr- card of their choice. So that was our first group. Mm. And our second group, um, they were actually, um, we utilized a public posting reinforcer type of set incentive. So every month um, with that group, whoever submitted their, their timesheets on time, we would publicly post their group's performance. So, for example, this month, this group submitted their timesheets on time 90% of the time, and that was our second group. And then the third group, as you were saying earlier, Dr. Sean, we wanted to implement some type of control procedure and actually see are these reinforcement procedures having an impact on our staff's behavior. So the third group didn't have any um, treatment at all. Um, they just remained at baseline levels. They didn't receive any reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And so after um, a few submission dates and gathering the data, um, the interesting results that we found is that the group who received the um, public posting re- incentive um, actually performed higher than our lottery-based incentive. And we were really excited about these results because as an organization, um, especially we were thinking about other organizations out there that are trying to apply these same procedures can utilize reinforcement and you don't have to spend money. This is just a simple procedure where you just publicly post and almost shout out shout out these people like, good, jo- good job team, this is our performance, this is our improvement this month, you know, keep it up. And we were excited to see these results because it had not only um, an impact on behavior, but a greater impact on behavior in just using a public posting as a reinforcing. And was it interesting to find that what was more important than a primary reinforcer, such as a goodie or a gift card or something, was just to be recognized, to be recognized for their good work and doing what they're being asked to do, and then that tells the employer, okay, you know what, like you just said, Jackie, you don't have to spend a bunch of money, you don't have to spend even a bunch of time. What you do need to do is recognize people for doing the right thing, in this case, turning things in on time, and you'll get the result you want, which is not only you'll get your stuff, but the person feels good about the work. What was your, what was your hypothesis? going into the research? What did you think you were going to, what were you looking for? Our hypothesis, we wanted to see um, which reinforcer would have an impact on our, our behavior. And so we initially thought knowing this field, absolutely the use of reinforcement would have an impact on behavior. And we we actually initially thought 
the um, lottery incentive would have a greater impact on behavior because, as you were saying, you know, it's monetary. This is really going to um, drive our staff to submit those timesheets on time. And we were actually, it did have an impact on behavior. But as I was saying earlier, the surprising results was that, you know, not having to spend money, just a simple um, recognition had a greater impact on behavior. So we were really excited about that. Right. And now it also tells you which direction to go to in the future, that in the future, we don't need to get a bunch of prizes together. What we need to do is recognize our people through a newsletter, through a a billboard or a poster board that's up that says their name on it, something that allows them to feel good about the work that they're doing and, and who they are as a staff person. I mean, what a great outcome to have. When your original idea was, okay, i got to get these people to turn in stuff on time. Everybody's turning in stuff late. We're getting our progress reports in late. We're getting our contracts back late. It's affecting everybody. But the end result was not only did we find out what makes things work, but we also found a great way to make staff feel internally motivated. And it's mm-hmm. isn't that the goal of like what you do with all of your clients to try and Absolutely. motivate them to want to want to do the thing rather than being paid off to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know, Dr. Wallace, what your thoughts might be around just this idea of looking for one thing and finding another in your research Don't you find that your I students, think- you know, they get all freaked out because they're like, Oh, Dr. Wallace, I'm not finding what I, wanted to find and yeah and you know Skinner um, talked about following your data and I think that is so important you know he talked about not going into research with a preconceived idea of what you're going to find but to actually follow your data because if you do that you're always going to find something right even if non-effect is Mm -hmm. an effect right Um, I I I think it's really really important there's so much research that's been done out there and the things have maybe been found to be insignificant. I always thought there should be the journal of insignificant findings because yeah. there's so much. Okay, maybe it was insignificant by a you know, a quarter of a percentage point or something, but you did get information from that. I'm just being told that it's once again another time for a little break, so we will be back in a couple minutes to talk with the rest of our group. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about research this morning, and we've been discussing different types of research and uh, and how we can conduct, how and why we conduct research. And we were just talking with Jackie Riswell in regards to um, the research project that she had done looking at a con- group contingency or a group reward for uh, staff for, in a sense, turning in their paperwork on time and getting some recognition from that. Jackie, one of the things you said to me during the break was something happened when you presented with other organizations coming to you. Why don't you repeat that? You said that when you went sure. to present, tell, tell us, tell me again. Yes. Um, so we had the opportunity to present our research at the poster sessions at last year's Calaba and ABAI. And we had a lot of organizations come up to us expressing the same challenges that they were having at their own organizations or agencies as well, and were excited to see the results and wanted to implement similar procedures with their staff as well to see if that would have an impact on their behavior and helping improve their staff development um, with the similar challenge as well. So that was exciting to see that not only we're, we were experiencing these challenges, but also to other organizations, especially um, other organizations that are just starting off, were having these same concerns and wanted to implement these procedures. So we were able to share our findings with them. And it was great, too. We got each other's contact information. So maybe it's something we can follow up with these other groups to see, are they also seeing the same results? Are they also seeing the same impact on Mm -hmm. their staff behavior? So that's something that we may look into next and want to um, study and continue on with our research. With our yeah, by even, by even interviewing and surveying some other organizations to find out is social recognition, which was the outcome of your study, is social recognition a good influencer for, for staff? 
Um, I really, you know, I love the ideas of building up research ideas in, in our ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis Workplace, because we can do so many dif- different things. Rocky, I want to bring you on. Again, Rocky Bomick is our Director of Behavioral Respite. And Rocky, what do you see the reason for engaging in research? Well, why do we want to do that in, the, in our workplace? Um, to go from what Jackie was just saying earlier, when it comes to staff development, I think it helps tighten the system, and then it helps us figure out what we can do with our single case studies. Um, Most often, we find ourselves um, using research that has been done before with our clients, and after a year, you notice sometimes there's no progress made because of sometimes those extra variables that we can't necessarily control, and then we have to go into research and see what else can we do. So if anything, it benefits our clients at the end of the day and see what else we can do and see how we can generalize that with our other clients that may be coming in with the same skill deficit or problem behavior. Yeah. You you said to me, we were talking the other day, and you were talking about a home visit that you were on, and you were saying that you were, hanging, quote, unquote, hanging out with a client. And I mm-hmm. said, well, what were you doing? And you said, well, a lot of karaoke, which was cute. But what it also said was that this was – the experience that you had when you were in that home, that that singing is reinforcing to the client also that by being within the environment, you're able to see how the supervisor, or excuse me, how the staff interacts with the client, how the staff interacts with the parent, how the client interacts with the parent. You're not just looking at a rating scale or a, you know, some kind of a data collection sheet you're looking at this environment in a qualitative fashion, and that's where that qualitative research comes in. We do so much of it on a daily basis with the notes that we take and the narratives that we write in regards to the programs. Your your program is one of behavioral respite. It's a babysitting program utilized with people that understand behavioral intervention. Why is it important for us to understand the relationship between staff, client, and family. Why is it important in your respite program to understand that relationship? Because we need to make it very naturalistic for them. We're not there to control it. We need to be a part of their environment and maintain what is going on in their uh, house, in their household to ensure that they are getting the best care. That's, you couldn't have said that better. What a beautiful way to say it. You know, it's like, this is their home. You're coming into their home. It's a natural environment. And you want to set up things in a natural way. Guys, we have about four minutes till the end of the show. And so, Lindsay, I want to bring you on also and ask you, you've been doing some research at Total Programs. Tell us recently, Lindsay, you've been on the show before. Lindsay Grizzle, again, is our director, our clinical director. Um, and, and does a lot in regards to quality control of our programs. You recently started a new ongoing evaluative program regarding our billing. Tell me a little bit about that and how that assists the company and what kind of, you know, tell yeah. me about that as in regard to research. Well, really, um, I'm taking kind of the, the ABA side of working with the clients and applying it more as a organizational, like an OBM business management side. So it's been really cool to kind of be able to be part of that 
um, transition. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing right now is looking at, when you're looking at the business side, there's a lot of data that's already there. We have the billing percentages for, you know, months and years prior, and we have staff submission dates um, when when supervisors are turning in their progress reports. So what we're looking at now is the different variables that can affect or that we're seeing affect the um, the those billing numbers. And part of it is trying to create policies that are going to improve those numbers. So if we're working on a... If, you know, if we're going to make a policy change for a group of 300 employees, we want to make sure that it works and that it reflects improvement, whatever independent variable we are applying to um, to our staff. And we're looking at things like how to decrease retro billing, how to um, improve supervisors completing their hours, turning in progress reports on time, because in the business it all flows together and really has an impact on the end result, which is our payroll and our and our billing so we can sustain the work that we're doing. And all of that leads to better outcomes for our clients because we know that we can pay our staff. We know that our staff are turning in uh, information in a, in, in a uh, appropriate, timely manner. One of the things that I saw was that not only were they turning in your billing stuff, now all of a sudden it's their reports are coming in a little bit faster, and other things are also coming in on time. So one thing led to the to the outcome of another. Guys, I am so pleased to have you on the show today. I'm sorry we're at the end of the show. Thank you, everybody, for contributing. Um, Dr. Wallace, Jackie, Rocky, and Lindsay, thank you for your contributions to children, and thank you all for listening. Remember... That on strategies and solutions, living the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings on you. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.